Well, uh, my third in uh, uh, the series, The Forgotten Faithful. The Forgotten Faithful. We're going to look at Simeon the Just. Simeon the Just. And so, how long do you wait for something? How long do you wait? The Bible has lots of examples of great men of faith who had to wait for a promise. Abraham waited for his son. He wasn't very good at waiting, like so many of us. Uh, His wife encouraged him not to wait. And, I mean, so many of us don't like waiting very much. Jacob waited seven years for the love of his life. Remember that story, hey? He waited seven years, and then his would-be father-in-law, his 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 father-in-law in to be, I guess, yeah, his father-in-law to be, uh, tricked him by slipping in his his uh, love sister, right? And so then he says, what is going on? And you'd think he would figure that out. But he didn't figure it out until after. It was too late. And, um, and basically his father-in-law said, well, that's kind of the custom of the land. His sister, her, Rachel's sister's older, and so you have to marry Leah. And so he waited another seven years. And so he waited for the love of his life again. 14 years for the love of his life. That's a long time to wait. Joseph waited years before his prophetic dreams became a reality. At the end of the great faith chapter in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, verse 39, it says, "All And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. Okay, so there was many at the end of Hebrews where, where the writer to the Hebrews says they waited. They waited in faith, and they didn't even receive what they were waiting for. And it, but they waited in faith. That is, they had a good testimony. While they were waiting, their testimony was good. And they were waiting, but they never saw what they were waiting for. It's tempting to view waiting as a waste of time, isn't it? Waiting, uh, especially in our day, waiting kind of sounds empty and unproductive. When you're waiting for a mechanic to finish the work on your car, you know, you're, you're, kinda, you're, you're in, the, in, in the chair and you're, you know, looking at your cell phone and you're maybe playing some games. Maybe you're doing some texting. Maybe you're looking at Facebook and then your battery runs out and then you don't know what to do. And then, so, and then the doctor's office, you, lots of times you wait for a long time at the doctor's office, right? And for the doctor, for somebody to say, okay, it's your turn, right? And then you get to follow them and they you know, do your vitals and all of that. Uh, when you're waiting in line at the grocery store. Or it, it doesn't have to be a waste of time, does it? You can take those moments and they could be God-given moments for you to talk to somebody that's waiting with you. Right? You, I mean, waiting doesn't have to be a waste of time. Uh, how about waiting behind a vehicle in Provost who thinks the speed limit is 20 kilometers an hour all through town. <laughs> Some of you have been there. <laughs> so I, I just experienced that the other day. I hope it wasn't any of you. Um, 
But I like John Piper suggested that he he didn't like to wait when he was um, talking about our um, our lean as people towards entitlement. When when we lean towards entitlement, he said this: You don't get your newspaper to read by six thirty, and you're mad. <laughs> You owe me, and I get mad when you don't pay, he said. And then he goes on to say that if that's your basic orientation in life, if that's how you operate, then you're not humble. He says the opposite of humble is to, to have this sense of entitlement that people owe you, that you owe me, right? And then he said, and it, and it was like, he, he says, and I'm not humble, he is just like, ah, pray for your pastor. Because that was his slant. His orientation was that he felt that maybe he was entitled because he was God's servant. Right? So we're going to look at Simeon today. And he was waiting for something. For someone. And we can learn a lot about waiting from God's word. And so let's read our text. And this is Luke chapter 2. Now there's, the Christmas story is in, as you know, Matthew and Luke. Matthew has the wise men and Luke has the shepherds and, and Luke has Simeon and Anna. And so we're going to look at Simeon today. And you'll notice that the, the three forgotten faithful that we looked at were Joseph the stepdad of Jesus, and then Anna, and then Simeon. Now, actually, Simeon saw Jesus first, and then Anna. But I turned that around because we had our Christmas program, and Anna's section is only three verses, and Simeon's is more. So that's why we're turning it around and looking at Simeon today. And so that is Luke chapter 2, verses 25 to 35. And behold, there was a man. I should give you context. Jesus, as about eight days old, or no, this would have been uh, 40 days. Sorry, eight days Jesus was circumcised. And then 33 days after, Mary was considered, uh, she'd gone through her impurity. And so she was able then to bring him to the temple sometime after 40 days. I like to think that it was 40 days later that they didn't want to wait, that they just wanted to get to the temple to present Jesus to the Lord just as soon as they could. And so 40 days later, they've gone to the temple. They've, they've um, they paid the money for, for the two turtle doves or the two pigeons and um, to redeem the Son of God who would redeem the world. Right? And so that's the context. They had just uh, brought Jesus to present him to the Lord. Now, uh, so verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you 
are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Well, amen. God's word. So we're going to look at four things. This is kind of this, this outline. I'm going to look at Simeon the man, uh, the Holy Spirit's work. I'm going to look at the prophetic word and then a personal word. So those four things. So first of all, Simeon the man. Uh, just be, and, and again, I want to share a little bit of insight just before I look at Simeon about what we're looking at and how it fits in. And so first notice uh, Luke's narrative. And I want to read from Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. This is how he starts his letter. And he goes, Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who have from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very beginning, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you, have, that in which you were instructed. And so, how did Luke know about these things? How did he have a perfect understanding of all of these things, uh, of what happened uh, at Jesus' birth? Well, I, I would imagine he did interviews. He would go around and he, he would talk to Mary personally and ask her what happened on that morning or what happened at the temple. And Mary would tell him. Can you imagine the thrill of talking to Mary about her experience? It would be absolutely a, a thrilling thing and then to write about it. He went, he went to the source in the power of the Holy Spirit recording that which he'd learned. Uh, did he know how important his work was going to be? Did he know that his work was going to be part of our scriptures today? I don't know if he did. But in the power of the Holy Spirit, he recorded all that he learned. Now the second thing is... Uh, we see here Luke's understanding of the law. And you have, to, you have to kind of look for it. It doesn't spell it right out. But he understood the law perfectly. Deuteronomy 19.15 states, A single witness shall not rise up against a man on account of any iniquity or any sin which he has committed. On the evidence of two or three witnesses, a matter shall be confirmed. Now, uh, today our law is built on that foundation. We need witnesses in order to, to bring somebody to court in, in order to find them, um, whether they're innocent or guilty. We need witnesses, right? Two. We need two witnesses. Now, we see this throughout the Bible, both the Old Testament and New Testament, where witnesses are required. Luke confirms Jesus' birth with how many witnesses? Three witnesses. Two or three. 
the witnesses are the shepherds, Simeon, and Anna. Three witnesses. And so Luke's understanding of the law is, is excellent. And so Simeon is the second in, in the line of witnesses. Now, there are lots of legends concerning Simeon. We're actually not told what his profession was. He could have been a Levite serving at the temple faithfully at that time. He could have been uh, um, the Levite to whom Joseph gave the five shekel redemption money, or he could have been simply compelled by the Holy Spirit to take a day off at that specific time, head to the temple, and the Holy Spirit's like, hey, do it, do it, take the day off, I'll meet you there. (laughs) It could have been that way. So Simeon went to Jerusalem which is the political and religious capital of the Jews. His name means God has heard. Isn't that an appropriate name? God has heard. We have a God who hears, don't we? He knows what's going on. When God appeared to Moses from the burning bush, God said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their task task." Masters, for I know their sorrows. That's Exodus 3 7. I'm so glad that we serve a God who hears us. You know, we, I mean, we spend time praying and we, um, we come into situations and we cry out to the Lord. God knows. God knows our situation before we bring it to Him. He loves us. He knows we have a God who hears. And that's what Simeon's name means. And so there are four things that we know about Simeon from verse 25. And I like this. It's just like a natural outline. So the first thing it says that he is, he, he was just. Okay. The Greek word translated as just could have also been translated as righteous. So from a Jewish perspective, this means that he was in right standing with God. And how do you get there? How do you get to that right standing with God? And that is, you get there by observing all the commandments and ordinances of God. And why did Luke mention that he was righteous? Because I think it was pretty rare in those days that there would be a righteous man that was noticed. Because, you know, the, the scribes and Pharisees, there were so many of them that just were so blind to who Jesus was. And they were anything but righteous. They planned his death. They planned his execution. They were out to get him. They were looking for dirt for him. That doesn't sound like a righteous man to me. And there were so many of them were like that. And so um, so he would have been, Simeon would have been a real gem. He would have been, uh, uh, there, there weren't very many righteous men in that day. And so the second thing it says about him is that he was devout. And I take, uh, I take the word devout to mean that he goes beyond what is required and instead moves in the, sophi- moves in the sphere of need. Okay? This is what's required, but that's what's needed. I'm going to go further than, than, than the law says. Right? So that's what I take as to what devout means. Luke, in a second letter, um, in the book of Acts, requires another man, um, uh, describes another man as devout, and then gives an example. He was devout. 
God-fearing. This, and he was talking about Cornelius. Cornelius was a centurion in the Italian um, regiment. And so, and he describes him as devout, God-fearing. And then he says, as was everyone in his household, he gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. You see the connection. So he goes beyond what is necessary and looks after the need. He goes beyond the necessary and looks after the need. And so I think that's what devout means. Luke was speaking of Cornelius. And we too should be known for moving in the sphere of need rather than only what is required. Right? I th- Amen? I think so. Right? The third thing, he was waiting for the coming of the Messiah. Now, God promised that there would be a Savior, and he knew a Savior was desperately needed. The people were discouraged, oppressed, and their religious leaders were corrupt. Jesus saw the same thing when he walked the earth and began his ministry 30 years later. This is what it says of Jesus in Matthew 9:36, or this is what Jesus said. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That's what Jesus saw. And then he did something about it. So he went beyond and looked after the need. Like Simeon, there are believers waiting for Jesus to return. Are you waiting for Jesus to return? Amen. Oh, how we need our Savior today. Then the fourth thing, the Holy Spirit was upon him. And we'll look at the Holy Spirit's activity in Simeon's life uh, in the next heading. But I'll just say this, it's critical that we listen to the Holy Spirit. And this is what Simeon was also known for. In the early days, that's before GPS, if, um, if people could use a compass, right? And if you were in the middle of the bush someplace and and you were kind of lost or you were kind of needed direction, you could use a compass to give you direction. And so that's it. You'd be in an area basically with no reference point. Your compass was your reference. You could, if you followed your compass, if you had a rough idea, even if you had a map and you knew generally where the area you were, you knew generally, you could take that compass and you could kind of figure out which direction you needed to go and as long as you followed the compass as long as you followed that you would be okay and you would get to safety and that's the the same I mean we have the Holy Spirit as our compass and our guide we need the Holy Spirit and and that is so critical in Simeon it says of him that the Holy Spirit was upon him well, let's look at this Holy Spirit's work. Now, I want you to notice that the Holy Spirit here is mentioned three times in three verses. And so the Holy Spirit was significant in Simeon's life. Now, I'm not going to go into great detail as to all that the Holy Spirit does for us, but I'll just use the text here to describe the Holy Spirit's work in Simeon's life. So first of all, it says that the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, the, the, the Bible is divided, as you know, into two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, how um, the Old Testament is how God worked before the cross, and the New Testament is, um, or agreement, 
is uh, how God worked after the cross. It's important to note that the Gospels are actually part of the Old Testament or the way God worked with the Holy Spirit as the Old Testament, right? The Holy Spirit worked in, that, in kind of a different way. Now, Jesus continually revealed that a new covenant was coming, but up until the resurrection of Jesus, the old covenant was still in effect. An example of Jesus announcing the new covenant was when he celebrated the Passover meal with his disciples. What did Jesus say? He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. That's Luke 22, 20. So when God speaks of a new covenant, it means, now this is Hebrews 8, 13, it means that he's made the first one obsolete. And a lot of people forget that. They kind of, they, they kind of are trying to keep all the rules and laws and regulations of the Old Testament that the Jews were supposed to keep. There was, what, 600 and... I, I can't remember the exact number. 630 uh, rules that they had to keep. Most of them, negative. You can't do this. You can't do this. You can't do this. For Simeon... The Holy Spirit rested on him because he was looking forward to the cross. It wasn't dwelling in him. We have such an advantage. People, we have such an advantage. We should have an advantage. The Holy Spirit, when we receive Jesus as our Savior and King of the Lord, he lives inside us. For Simeon, he rested on him. But for us, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. That's a huge difference. But the Holy Spirit, that's what it says of Simeon, that the Holy Spirit rested on him. And so the second thing, the Holy Spirit reveals truth. Now the truth was that Simeon would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Christ is like the Greek term for, for Messiah. And so, so basically he was waiting for the Messiah and he would not die, the Holy Spirit told him, until he had seen the Messiah. Well, that, that was good news. That was truth. And some have assumed that Simeon was old because it talked about his death, that he wouldn't die. But the text actually doesn't say. And so Simeon could have been a young man. He could have been middle-aged. He could have been my age. He could have... <laughs> is it, what, what am I? Am I like... I'm middle-aged, right? Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm middle-aged, I think. Yeah, I'm not an old man yet. Uh, some assume that, I mean, anyway, of course he would have been, he could have been old. And this has that romantic flair to it, doesn't it? That he's an old man and that, um, that he wouldn't die, that he was just hanging on. And so you'd be kind of like Anna, who is like we're estimating at about 106, right? And so maybe there was two of them in the temple that, oh, you got a picture of Anna? Cool, I got a picture with Simeon. Yeah, you know, who knows? But he could have been old. But irregardless, Jesus, I mean, he was told that he would not die. Jesus told his disciples, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. This is exactly what the Holy Spirit did for Simeon. And, and that was John 16, 13. 
One of the big ways that the Holy Spirit reveals truth is through God's Word, right? We have God's Word. After all, God's Word was what? Given by inspiration of God. That's the Holy Spirit. The God, the, the, the Holy Spirit uh, revealed God's Word. And, the, and, and so this was revealed to Simeon that he would not die until a, that, that he'd seen the Messiah. He believed and he was willing to wait. He believed that and he was willing to wait. And then third thing, the Holy Spirit guides. And so the Holy Spirit was upon him. The Holy Spirit revealed this truth and now the Holy Spirit guides. Have you ever felt like you should be somewhere for a particular reason? You just had that feeling that, you know what, I need to, I need to go over there. Or I need to visit these people or this person's hurting. I need to go visit them. Um, I remember talking to a guy in British Columbia on the, just about as far as you could go on the, on the west coast uh, of Vancouver Island. And he told me he'd, he had this feeling, this impression, this, that he needed to go see his friend. And he drove for hours to go see his friend, and his friend was about to commit suicide. What was that? That was the Holy Spirit telling him he needed to be someplace. And so the Holy Spirit is our guide. I remember uh, that I had this impression that I needed to cross the street from where I lived, go to the, go to the curling rink, and, and, and just watch curling. What was that? That was the Holy Spirit telling me that I, I was so restless, and I need, it seemed like I needed to get, go over there. And, and, just, and you know what? God had set it up. It was amazing because there were, there were two French Canadians that were so open to the gospel. And I, I tell you, I went from beginning to end, explained truthfully the gospel to these men. And I didn't, you know, you know they received it. I didn't hear until years later that it actually changed one person's life. One of the people I was talking to. It changed his life. What is that? That's the Holy Spirit leading and guiding you. The only thing is, are we listening? Right? And so the Holy Spirit is our guide. The prophetic word. The first thing we realize is that Simeon had the privilege, I think this is so amazing, Simeon had the privilege of holding the Lord Jesus Christ in his arms. Can you imagine taking Jesus in your arms? I mean, he's so vulnerable at that point in his life. And Simeon had the privilege of holding him. You know, we usually think of it the other way around, that we're in Jesus' arms, don't we? And uh, we belong in the arms of Jesus. For example, Safe in the Arms of Jesus is a hymn written by Fanny Crosby. She only had a few minutes to compose this because a friend and a piano player, uh, William uh, Doan, had only 40 minutes before he had to board a train to Cincinnati. And he was going, and he, and he told his friend Fanny Crosby, he said, and Fanny was blind, Right? Was she blind? Right. And, and so she, she had only 40 minutes to compose this. He started playing the piano. And she started writing. 
And she had a sense that in the arms of Jesus was, was going to be the theme. And so she just started writing. And, and it's just like the words poured out, right? And he wanted, the, the purpose, he said, I, want, I want to, really want a new hymn for this statewide Sunday school conference that we're going to have. And so she started writing. And it was actually interesting that she wrote while he played, and, 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 and she recalls that she was so caught up in the writing that nothing around her mattered. Nothing mattered. At the end, she folded the piece of paper, bearing the song, and gave it to Mr. Doan. Doan had not read the words until he boarded the train. Amazing story. I bet you want to hear the words. They go like this, safe in the arms of Jesus, safe on his gentle breast, there by his love or shaded, sweetly my soul doth rest. Hark, tis a song of heaven, born in the sweetest voice, echoed by saints in spirit, making my heart rejoice. And then the chorus is safe in the arms of Jesus, safe on his gentle breast, Thereby his love were shaded, sweetly my soul doth rest. Safe in the arms of Jesus, the second verse, safe from corroding care. Safe from the world's temptations, sin cannot harm me there. Free from the blight of sorrow, free from my doubts and fears, only a few more trials, only a few more tears. The third verse, Jesus, my heart's dear refuge. Jesus has died for me. Firm on the rock of ages, ever my trust shall be. Here, let me wait with patience. Wait till the night is o'er. Wait till I see the morning break on the golden shore. Safe in the arms of Jesus, safe on his gentle breast. Thereby his love or shaded, sweetly my soul doth rest. Beautiful. You can't tell me that that wasn't the Holy Spirit leading and guiding her into truth as she put those words on paper in just the few minutes that she had. That is absolutely amazing. So in Simeon's prophecy, he was clearly saying a number of truths. But first of all, he held the Lord Jesus Christ in his arms. What a beautiful picture. But our God, first of all, is a promise keeper. He said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. In other words, God, you kept your promise. God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. How many times have you been disappointed by broken promises? Could your family put on your gravestone when you die and not before? <laughs> he kept his promises. How many, how many could that, that would be a great thing to have on your gravestone, wouldn't it? He kept his promises. When you're going through testing, not if you're going through testing, when you go through testing, when you feel like you're all alone, when you don't think you can take any more, thank God for keeping his promises. Because he said he would never leave or forsake you. Hold on. The second thing is that our God is a God of salvation. Two things about salvation here. God is the author of salvation. God planned it from the very beginning. God knew that his creation, who he created in his own image, would be tested and fall. And so God planned, he, God planned the salvation 
for fallen man from the very beginning. Revelation 13.8 refers to Jesus as the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. Man needed to be saved and he and so he made a way through Jesus. Someone say hallelujah. <laughs> Man needed to be saved. And so he made a way through Jesus. The second thing about salvation is that it isn't a secret. Not only did Simeon see the Lamb of God in person, but this same Lamb of God would be seen publicly before all people. Jesus' birth was a very public event. There are lots of so-called churches that have, that have secret ceremonies for those that would belong to their organization. That's, that's not public. God's salvation was on display for the whole world. It's public. He called people publicly, Jesus did, to follow him. It's public. And so salvation wasn't a secret. It still isn't. And then the third thing, our God desires the whole world to be saved. Now, do you think Simeon was saying something new? Or, you know, was this new revelation? Something that they didn't know would happen? I'm sure he knew God's word. What he said was also said by Isaiah the prophet hundreds of years before. And this is what Isaiah said in Isaiah 49, 5, and 6. And now the Lord speaks, the one who formed me in my mother's womb to be his servant, who commissioned me to bring Israel back to him. The Lord has honored me, and my God has given me strength. He says, you will do more than restore the people of Israel to me. I will make you a light to the Gentiles, and you will bring my salvation to the ends of the, ends of the earth. So who is that speaking of? That's speaking of Jesus. And Jesus would bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And so that's Gentiles, Jews, everyone will have an opportunity to be saved. And so God is not reluctant to save. It's like, oh, no, 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 not you. You're, you're, you're nasty. No, God's not like that. He invites people that have that terrible backgrounds, have done terrible things, and God saves them when they come to him. When they call on his name, God saves them. It's for all people. But why does it say that this would be the glory of your people Israel? Why? It, I think you know. It's because salvation comes through the Jews. Because Jesus was Jewish. Right? And so that is a glorious privilege for the people of Israel. And they don't know it yet. They will. They will know it. They will weep when they find out, when they figure it out, when they figure out that they'd missed the boat. They will weep. And what a glorious day that will be. So then a personal word. Now, Joseph and Mary marveled at what was said, but Simeon had more. He had more to say. This time he talked specifically to Mary. Maybe he... Maybe when he was done holding the baby Jesus and blessing them, right? And blessing the Lord. Maybe he gave the, the baby Jesus to Joseph. And, and kind of, Joseph, you go over there for a while. There are people that want to see Jesus over there. And maybe it was Anna. It says, you go over there. There's somebody that wants to see you. And, 
and, and then he kind of said, Mary, I have something for you. I have something I need to tell you. I have something specifically to tell you. There was further revelation for Mary. And which reminds me that not all revelation is for everyone. Do you, you know what I mean? That maybe God tells you something or reveals something to you. You know what? Don't tell the world if it's not for the world. If it's just for you, just just keep it to yourself. A lot of times the Bible says that, like Mary and Joseph, they kept these things to themselves, right? Well, uh, I remember one time God gave me a dream, and it was, and it was definitely for me. It was definitely an encouragement for me. Uh, uh, it was some revelation of things that were going on in the church. And I, so I tried to share this dream that I should have kept to myself. I, I tried to share it, right? And that was a mistake. The people I shared it with were like in no position to receive it. The interpretation that I thought was obvious in the dream was all twisted in such a way as to say the opposite of what God was actually telling me. They're saying, oh, this is the interpretation. And they twisted everything in the dream to make it like that that's make it wrong it was it was just it was strange but sometimes you have to keep things to yourself Simeon states that the hearts of Israel would be revealed Israel's spiritual landscape would be turned upside down as many would reject their Messiah and those who were weren't trained as priests and servants of God would be raised their place basically there would be kind of a lasso and and, and yeah, the people of Israel would, would have to be put on hold for a while because we're going to take this to the world, right? And so God raised up people that were not skilled, fishermen and tax collectors and zealots and, and all of these, and they would take it to the world. And that's a miracle. That's a miracle. And so that's what he's telling Mary, that the, these kind of things are going to take place and finally, Mary also would experience unbelievable pain as God's plan is unveiled when it comes about, when it's realized. And of course, Jesus dying on the cross. Don't think that Mary thought this was the greatest thing in the world. Don't think that, don't think that Mary thought that Jesus is saving the world up there on the cross. She was, her heart was broken. Her son was being crucified and he was suffering and so it did come true that a sword will pierce through your own soul maybe God has a personal word for you this morning I mean God gave Mary this personal word right so we've been talking about waiting on the promises of God and that takes faith what are you waiting for what has God promised you that you're waiting for? Are you willing to wait for it? If you have any questions, if you, like, one of the things is that Jesus came, and it's very obvious right here, in, from, from his birth that Simeon said, Jesus came for, to save. Do you know that you're saved? If you don't, I encourage you to come and talk to me. Because this is eternity we're talking about, right? 
And so salvation is that important. Maybe you're waiting for somebody to come and talk to you. Well, take the initiative. Talk to your pastor. I'm available. Anyway, God bless you.